Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Hi, this is David Sachs and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to I want to start with just a just a crazy story that happened to me this week. Um, trying trying not to eat too many bagels. By the way, I don't know if um, I I grew up this way. I don't I don't know if any of you do this, but but my dad like he would he would cut a bagel in half and then he would scoop out all the all the stuff in the middle. And then you'd have these sort of two bagel shells. So so if you have to eat a bagel, that's a slightly more healthy way to eat a bagel. So there you go. Anyway, so I went to this bagel store um, and uh, for, first time in a while. And I, I, I met someone there. He's, he's a friend uh, who I, I hardly ever see, but I, I, I like him quite a bit. And he always has something very interesting to say. So we're standing there in the socially distanced in the in the in the in the bagel store that only allows a few people in at a time that that detail will come back to us in, in a little bit but but anyway the two of us are standing there and he says you know i just read a book that i think you'll really like uh, it's all about um the garden of eden and, and and prayer and everything like that he says it's all the things you're interested in so i said oh okay great and he told me the name of the person um and uh, who wrote it, and he showed me a picture of him, uh, Davidal Weinberg, right? That's that's the name. So, so I wasn't familiar with him, but I thought, okay, great, you know, uh, I'll check it out. And he told me the name of the, the book, and I, I, I went back um, later on that night to my house, and, and I started typing in the name of the book, and I realized... I had forgotten the name of the book, and I couldn't find it online. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's a shame, because he really made that book sound really interesting. I really I really wanted to order that. Um, okay, maybe two or three days later, for the first time in, I don't know how many months or longer, I decided I should go back to the bagel store. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I go, I go back to the bagel store, and as I mentioned, they're only because of you know the COVID situation and socially distanced and everything like that. They're only allowing a certain number of people in the store at a time. So now I had to wait outside the store, and since I knew it was going to be a little bit, I'm just kind of standing there, and I thought to myself, why am I just standing here? You know, I should listen to a, a Torah talk, and so. Um, I thought, well, what should I listen to? And then I, re- I, had, I, I had started a Torah talk uh, about two weeks ago. Um, I found a whole series, like an eight-part series, on the Hasidus of Ishbitz and Radzin, which is the same Hasidic dynasty, by, um, by a teacher. He's at YU. His name is uh, Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld. So I, I started that first talk and I was about, I don't know, three quarters of the way through that first one. And 
and I just stopped listening. And so while I'm standing online now, this is about two weeks after I had started that talk, I'm standing online outside the bagel store where I had met that, that same place where I had met that previous person who recommended the book. And, um, and anyway, I, I found the link to the talk that I had been listening to. And of course, because I'm listening onto my, on, on my phone this time instead of on my computer, it's going to start from the very beginning. And here's how the uh, rabbi begins the talk. He says, I want to dedicate these talks to my friend Davidel Weinberg. Isn't that it's crazy, right? And I never was familiar with this person in my life. And here at the exact same spot, um, hearing his name two times. And now I had his name and I was able to find the book, um, which, 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 I, which I've ordered now. Um, and and uh, I believe it's called the, the Origin of the Spoken Word. But, but anyway, God willing, I'll read it and, and have a better sense and maybe be able to share some teachings with you from it. Anyway, the way God runs the world, right? So I told this story to another friend of mine who's like a very learned um, spiritual guy, and he says, well, I think you have to read the book. <laughs> that, that, was his, that was his very sort of like right to the point um, interpretation of, of that. And, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it, you know. So so there you go. God, God is guiding us. God is guiding us. And, you know, the more you're aware that God is guiding every step of your life, the more he will make you aware, the more God will make you aware that God is guiding every step of your life. That's, that's how it works. The more you see him, the more you will see him. And actually, the way I, I like to say it, uh, it's a slightly different thought, but I'm, 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 I'm segueing it to it right now, which is believing is seeing. <laughs> Most people say seeing is believing, Right? Like if I, when I see it, I'll believe it. But the truth is, is that there are realms of information around us that we can't see with our eyes. And sometimes the most direct way to see what's already there, which, which you can't see, is through belief. And then when you believe, you actually open up gates for you actually to be able to see it. And that's certainly the case with how much God is directing us. You know, we have a, a very core spiritual principle in Judaism called Mida Keneged Mida. What that means is, is that it's basically, you know, there's a direct correlation, even, even though it's not always um, recognizable, by the way, but there's a direct correlation between the effort that you put in and what you get back. And so one of the kind of intriguing um, uh variations of that, is that if a person actually believes that everything is random, God responds to that person with the appearance of randomness. See, it's, it's, it's mutually reinforcing on both sides. In other words, it's not just mutually, it's, it's not just reinforcing that the more you believe God is guiding you, the more you will see, in fact, that God is guiding you. That's true. But the opposite is also true. 
The less you believe God is guiding you, the less God will show you that God is guiding you. In other words, the more confusing the world will seem around you. So, so all of this is under the category of mita keneged mita. And in fact, and this, this can be a little bit difficult, so I, I recommend that if you, if you, if you, if you try to um, apply what I'm about to share with you, that you use a trained uh, spiritual guide, a.k.a. a rabbi, uh, to assist you with this, because you can make all sorts of errors uh, in terms of uh, applying this in your own life, so so try to uh, try to get some some uh, assistance with this. But if you if if you are experiencing some sort of um, negative aspect in your life, something that you'd wish was not there, and you try like to try to reverse or undo, ask yourself what does this correlate with any of my actions? In other words, is this thing that I'm experiencing in my life an example of mita kinegin mita, like a direct correlation of something that I put into the world that I'm getting back into the world. So in other words, this, because sometimes that can be a guide to trying to direct you to how to correct or uproot some sort of negativity that you're experiencing in your life. And then you try to correct it with something positive. So you say, you know something, that may be something because I, I put this aspect of negativity. So maybe if I take that energy and try to apply that in a positive way, try to do positive examples of that in my life, then maybe that will sort of like, um, you know, just uh, fix whatever's going on. So it's, it's not so simple. It doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. And, and again, this, this can be easily misinterpreted. So, so if, you, if you want to try to apply this, definitely do it with the assistance of someone. Because otherwise, um, this is where the, the Yetzirah and Neurosis um, has a big <laughs> has a big opening in your life, so you don't want to invite the Yetzirah and neurosis in your life, and and this is a tremendous opportunity to do that by misapplying what I just told you. So, <laughs> so I, I I really caution you: use try to do it with an experienced teacher if you want to try to uh, understand that. Okay, so Hanukkah is coming up. The great, the great holiday of Hanukkah is coming up, and um, I want to talk about it a little bit. And uh, it's this Thursday night, this Thursday night, Friday, is the first is the first candle. And um, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that that Hanukkah is a fixing of the eyes, right? So, so not only that, but it's it's a fixing for the chait hamaraglim of the spies because. What did the spies do? The spies, like, they, they looked at the land of Israel and they only saw the, the superficial aspects of the land, right? And, and they didn't really, like, their eyes, their, their eyes were a, a, a blockage for them. See, when we look at things, uh, we do ourselves a, a great disservice if we just look at the outer layer of things. The idea is that you really want to you really want to penetrate to the to the inside of things, and you know all the great tzaddikim were able to do that with their eyes, just to see past the superficial. And you know people like Reb Shlomo and and so many tzaddikim, but I experienced this myself with Reb Shlomo, is that when he would look at a person, 
he would look at who you could be. And then he would treat you that way. And then you would want to be the person who he was seeing. And I know that I experienced that in my own life. You know, he looked at me and and he he treated me with such a, I don't know, such a level of dignity that, that I really, really didn't merit to. <laughs> I didn't deserve it at all. But, but it, it made me want to be that person who he was seeing. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We're starting to read about Yosef right now. And one of the kind of curiosities is, is that whenever we talk about the spies who are in the land, we always refer to them as the, as the Miraglim. Um, but, but the reality is, is that if you, if you look in the Parsha itself, the spies are never called Miraglim, not even one time, not even one time. Very sort of surprising fact. So where do you see this word Miraglim? And again, why are we talking about this? Because Rabbi Nachman says that the, that the, that the candlelights, that the, that the, the, that the lights of, of Hanukkah are correcting the, the sin of the spies, the Chet Miraglim, right? Who sin with their eyes. So, so we have to kind of, figure out what that means. But but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but the question is, if you don't see this word Miraglim by the spies themselves, then then where do you see it? And the answer is, you actually see it by Yosef. Yosef and his brothers. And that's, that's very interesting because we're always reading about Yosef and his brothers at the time of Hanukkah. And we see this word Miraglim by, this, by the time of Hanukkah. So, so what is the context of the word Miraglim with Yosef and his brothers? And, 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 and it's the following. When, when the brothers come for food to Yosef, they don't know who Yosef is, but Yosef knows who they are. Right? The, the rabbis explain that Yosef grew a beard, and he didn't have a beard at the time when um, when the brothers sold him. So he looked like a different person. And of course, just the idea that he's running Egypt is so unlikely, you know, so, and speaking Egyptian to them and all the rest. So, so there were many reasons why he wouldn't recognize them. But he recognized them. That, that, that's for sure. And he is now going to put them this, through this very elaborate process, all designed for them to be able to do tshuva, all designed for them to be able to fix the fact that they sold him. And basically what he's going to do over a very elaborate series of events is create a situation where one of the brothers has been taken captive, like he was taken captive, and he wants to see, are they going to act differently this time than they did with him? And that's going to give them, like the Rambam says, the Rambam says that total tshuva, the highest level of tshuva, is when God puts you in exactly the same situation as you were in before, and this time you do the right thing. So that's that's what's going on. That's what's going on with with um, Yosef, and and of course it happens with Benjamin. But we're skipping ahead. He takes Benjamin captive, which is kind of the equivalent of when Yosef was was captive, because Yaakov Avinu says, "If I lose Benjamin, I'm going to die." So, so everything is on the line right now. And of course, Yehuda goes to bat for Binyamin and he, he fixes the whole thing with Yosef and, 
and it's magnificent. But anyway, let's get back to the spies. Yosef is at the very beginning of, of sort of like plotting out the fixing of, of his brother's souls, right? And he looks at them and he says, all of you are spies. All of you are Miraglim. So that's interesting. That's interesting. He's calling them spies. Now, here is the question. Here's the question. Now we're getting to the end of this thought. What is the comparison between Yosef's brothers being called spies and the quote-unquote spies who went to look at the land of Israel? And the connection is, as, as I understand it, it's my interpretation, but the, the connection is, is that Yosef was telling his brothers, you only saw the outside of me. You didn't see really who I, your brother, really was. And you judged me from the outside. Just like the spies were later going to judge the outside of the land and not understand the richness and the beauty of the land of Israel. And so the Hanukkah candles are coming to fix that. Right? I mean, I heard Rip Shlomo say one time, so important, he says, in this day and age, it's a criminal offense to be superficial. It's a criminal offense to be superficial. That's a, that's a very, very strong phrase. And, and how do you not be superficial? Well, it begins with your eyes. It begins with your eyes. How are you seeing the world? What, 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 how, what, what is going on with your eyes? You know, let me put it another way. Because Reb Shlomo just, in his classic way, summed it all up with one simple phrase. He said, what kind of eyes are you looking at the world with? Because everything boils down to that. It really does. What kind of eyes are you looking at God with? You know, so we said the other day, and, and, and there's a big secret here, you know. You know, Reb Shlomo said that, uh, you know, it's okay to be sad. You can be sad. Just don't forget that while you're sad, that you don't forget to be happy. <laughs> so, what does that mean? How does that work? How does that work? So, I'll just give you my own small explanation, which is that, you know, the Gomorrah talks about this, and I think it's a bit of a secret, you know? And that really... There's an outside to your heart and an inside to your heart. I think, I think a lot of people don't know that. I think most people think that my heart is one entity and whatever I'm feeling, that's, that's defining my heart. But the truth is, is that there's an outside to your heart and there's an inside to your heart. And there are moments where you can be sad. But if you have to be sad... Be sad with the outside of your heart. This way you can always remain happy with the inside of your heart. And now, what does it mean to be happy with the inside of your heart? Very, very simple. 
It means that you believe that God is good. That that that's it. And I'm telling you, I'm 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 giving you the secret to happiness right now. No less than that. No less than that. To be happy with the inside of your heart means that you understand that God is good. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And that means that you understand that whatever happens, everything that happens is is for the good, even if you don't understand it, even if it's painful. But if you go through life like that, then you can always be happy with the inside of your heart. And... um, And then that affects the the eyes that you see the world with. There will be a direct connection. See, because it's another big secret. A lot of people think that, um, you know, you see, like Rashi says, but but it's a little bit deeper. We don't want to take Rashi out of context, but, but it says, Rashi says that you, you look, the eye sees... And the heart desires. The eye sees and the heart desires. But but there's another step to that, which is which is even deeper. Which is that if the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. <laughs> you see, it's a this is a big secret. A lot of people think that it begins with the eye and then it goes to the heart. But it's not true. It begins with the heart. If the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. Or let's put it in the way that we've been talking about it up until now. If the inside of the heart understands the goodness of God, the eye sees good around them all the time. That's that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm telling you, these are the deepest secrets to life. I'm not I'm not trying to oversell this. I'm being very honest with you. Because because this world it's it's a it's a it can be a bit of a swamp. Remember what we said earlier. If you see randomness around you, God will reinforce that and 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 create the illusion of greater randomness. It's all going to be going by your eye. Your eye is going to be your GPS. And what's the software for the eye? That's the heart. And what's the software for the heart? <laughs> Understanding God's goodness. That is the secret. It's it's mamish the secret. I I, I you know I, I I wish I could tell you that I'm overstating it, but I'm not. And um, try it out. Try it out. Try it out. So this means looking at each other with a good eye too. You know? You have to be on, like, whoever's whoever you're dealing with, right, at the time. And I'm talking about it could be a stranger, it could be your wife. It could be your husband, it could be your kid. You have to look at them and understand we're on the same team. 
See, if, because if you're on the same team, then you're, you're invested in their success and you're invested in their happiness. But if you look at someone else and you go, I am I and you are you, then all sorts of stuff can happen in between you. You're leaving a big, you know, no man's land between you where a lot of barbed wire can fall in. But if you look at the other person as a member of the same team, then all of a sudden you're behind the same barricade. You're, but you're, you're on the same team and you're facing life and it's battles together. And, and the amazing thing is that transformation of how you look at another person can happen in, a, in the fraction of a second. You can actually fix a relationship in the fraction of a second. So, and that goes with your relationship with God, and that goes with your relationship with yourself. You know how you look at yourself? Okay. So, so let's, let's, let's continue to, to, to explore this connection between... Um, between the Hanukkah lights and really just just how they're fixing the eyes and how they're fixing the whole world. Okay? So I learned a teacher teaching from the Zohar from uh, Rav Frimer. Remember that's the that's the the Rosh Yeshiva of Hachme Lublin, which was the, the, the greatest yeshiva in the world before World War II. So Rav Frimer tells us that Kapara Forgiveness comes down um, in, in, in these three special times, okay? Maybe it's additional times too, but this is, this is the teaching. At Yom Kippur, it comes down for the individual. Um, on Sukkot, it comes down, a branch of forgiveness comes down for the Chet Ha'egel. Right, the sin of the golden calf, and uh, we won't spend too much time on this. But just to kind of say it over quickly, when we made the golden calf, the clouds of glory that surrounded us uh, went away, and then when we started preparing to build the Mishkan, which was the the sukkah, the clouds came back. Okay, so so there you have that the idea of when when sukkah comes. That's bringing back the clouds of glory um, that went away because of the sin of the golden calf. So Sukkot time, you get a, 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 a measure of forgiveness comes into the world for the sin of the golden calf. And now listen to this. The third installment is Hanukkah. Something unbelievable. You know what's flowing into the world on Hanukkah? Forgiveness from eating from the tree of knowledge from eating from the Eitz Hadas, Tovara, right? So, so that's, that's really amazing. And we've got to try to understand that. What is the connection between lighting the Hanukkah lights, the menorah, right? The whole miracle of light that happened by Hanukkah and fixing the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. Okay. So Rav Frimer is going to explain it. 
And he's going to just, you know, I imagine that you could write books on, on the connection between Hanukkah and, and fixing the eating from the tree of knowledge. But he's going to say something so crystal clear. It's just, it's just wonderful. Okay. Well, let's, let's first understand what happened when we ate from the, the tree of knowledge. Now, remember, the, the full name of the tree of knowledge, we kind of abbreviate it. But the full name of the tree of knowledge is the, the, the tree of knowledge Tovarah, right? Good and bad. Meaning to say that when we ate from the tree, good and bad got all mixed up around us. Meaning to say that we lost clarity. See, the way the, way the Rambam explains it, very interesting, is that before, um, before we ate from the tree, we had truth and falsehood, emet and sheker, right, in the world. We didn't have good and bad. We had true and false. So true and false, truth is so clear, false, well, is often not clear, but, but, but they're extremes. Um, and that's the way it looked when God made the world. But now listen to this. Good and bad are actually relative terms. They're all mixed together, good and bad. You know why? Because what's good for me might be bad for you. <laughs> and what's bad for you might be good for me. Isn't that interesting? So you see that when we ate from the tree of knowledge, good and bad, it was a big Eureka. It was a big spiritual downfall from the way the world had looked beforehand, which was truth and falsehood, which was clarity. Now everything is relative. Now everything is mixed up. Okay. So, so, it says in the Torah, Vayhi Erev, Vayhi Boker, and then the, 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 the day of the week. God made night and day, right? Erev, which is darkness, comes from the Hebrew word to mix up. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. So, so what is darkness? Darkness is something that actually is, it's all mixed up. Like, I don't know. That's why they call exile darkness. Because in exile, everything's confused. I, I, I don't know which way to turn. I'm all mixed up. So now listen to what Rob Frimmer says. And again, you just have to just love the simplicity and the clarity of this. Because if you ask me, what's Hanukkah? I would tell you, well, it's a time of darkness and we light up the darkness. Right? That's, what I, that, that's how I would explain Hanukkah. But listen to the step that he's going to add right now. He says, you know what it is? You light the candles and you separate, you make a separation between darkness and light. That's what's happening when you light the menorah. You're clarifying and you're making a separation between darkness and light. And that's why it's a fixing from eating from the tree of knowledge when everything got mixed up. Because when you light the menorah now, everything's clear. 
This is light. This is darkness. Having that level of clarity, having that level of clarity is just, it's gold. It's, and, and, and now more than ever, now more than ever, we need clarity because the world is so dang confusing. <laughs> so, so this is the fixing of the eyes. This is the fixing of the eyes. You know, we're so, we're so confused. Even when we want to do the right thing, we're confused. And, and I'll tell you what I mean by that, which is that we really want to see the good in each other and we want to see the good in the world. But sometimes it comes at the expense where, where we do it by saying that everybody's right. You're, you know, I, I went to public school in, in New York City. Um, and and I, I always remember this because this was really like to me a good example of of the culture um, that 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 we're in now and and what what I certainly grew up in you know which was you know the teacher would give you a poem and they would ask you what's the poem about and 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 one kid would say uh, it's about an elephant and the teacher would go that's right and then the other person would say it's about France. And the teacher would say, that's right. And then, and then another person would say, it's about ice cream. And the teacher would go, that's right. <laughs> Everybody's right. <laughs> Everybody's right. And, and, you know, there's something beautiful about that. There's something genuinely beautiful about that. To look at each other with that degree of favorability. But, but... We can take it to the point where we forget that there's a right and there's a wrong. That that's 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 the thing, you know. And it's such a hard balance. It's such a hard balance. Because how do you do it? How do you, how do you assert something? And you know something, I think that maybe. You know, at this at this time, I'll just speak for myself and, you know, I'm not pretending this is the last word on the subject or maybe even the best word on the subject, but let me just speak for myself. You be the light. You be the candle. You be the candle in the darkness. Like we just learned that when we light the menorah, it's not just we're making light in the darkness. We're making a separation between light and darkness. And if you yourself are a candle, if you yourself are a light, meaning to say, if you live this way, if you live in, a, in an uplifted, inspired, loving way, then you don't have to say the words because people are going to look at you and they're going to learn from you. And those things which are very hard to say to another person, you won't have to say them with your words, you'll be saying them with your life. And they'll look at your life and they'll go, you know what? I want to be like that too. I want to be like that too. And the clarity will come from the example that you set. And, um, you know, I, I remember, 
I knew this guy and he said to me, you know, he, he felt like he had problems because his, his wife wasn't religious enough. So it was many, many years ago. And I said, well, how much are you learning Torah? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if in the house during your downtimes, she sees you learning Torah, you know, sincerely in a way that's making you into a, a nicer, kinder person, right? Then, then that is going to be the best example and the most uplifting example for her, not you lecturing her. You know, I remember when, when I first started uh, keeping Shabbos, um, I was in Los Angeles and my parents were in, in New York. And they, 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 they asked me, so, you know, what are your weekend plans, you know? Right. And I'd say, well, you know, I'm going to go to this rabbi's house for Shabbos dinner. And they were starting to get very worried, you know, <laughs> another week, another week where he's going to this rabbi's house for for a Shabbos meal. And um, and then over time, you know, they became really supportive. And you know why? Because they realized that the more I was learning, the better son I was becoming to them. <laughs> and the more loving and respectful I was becoming to them. And they thought, you know what? He's actually being a better son. You know, we, we can encourage this. So so I, I, I use myself as an example in, in that respect. It, it's, it's um, you know... I'll tell you something, one of my favorite teachings from Rib Shlomo. He says, you know the difference between a good friend and a best friend? He says, a good friend is someone who makes you want to be a better person. He says, you know what a best friend is, though? A best friend is when you're with them, you're already a better person. You hear that? So the Torah, it's got to be a best friend. You see, a lot of people, they learn a little Torah, and you know what? I learned a little Torah. Now I want you to be a better person. <laughs> Wait a second. Dude, you skipped a step there. I learned so much. Now I know all the things you are doing and not doing. No, wait a second. Take, take a step back. What happened to you? Where, where are you in this formulation? The Torah can't be a good friend. The Torah's got to be a best friend. The Torah's got to be a best friend, meaning to say that when you're with the Torah which ideally is all the time, you're already a better person. And once you're a better person, everyone else is going to want to be a better person too. That's what it means to be a light in the darkness. Okay. So, so I want to go further. So we have an amazing thing um, in this week's Parsha, which is that Yaakov Avinu gets another name, which is Yisrael. And Rav Firmer is going to give us an amazing new definition, new for me anyway. This is from, you know, approximately a hundred years ago. But he's going to give us a, a new definition for the name Israel. Um, which when you hear it, it's like, ah, why, did, why didn't I think of that? It was right in front of my face the whole time. So Israel is, is generally... Uh, translated as that one who struggles with God and wins. Okay? 
but but let's let's backtrack and 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 kind of kind of reacquaint ourselves with how Jacob gets that that name Israel. Okay. So so Yaakov Avinu is 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 all alone, and um, you know it's it's really this like existential moment in in his life because his brother Esav has pledged to murder him. Yaakov Avinu has just been told that that Esav is waiting for him with four hundred soldiers, which you know that's you know more than enough to wipe out Jacob and his family, right? And uh, Jacob has now split the family into two different camps and sent them off in different directions, right? In the in the hope that if one camp falls, the other camp will survive. And now Yaakov is all alone, right? So like, wow. Like you talk about a dark night of the soul that that is that that is the definition right there that is the dark night of the soul right he's going to die the whole family's going to die the whole nation is going to die everything is about to disappear and to compound it all he's all alone right on the one side of him is his family that he's sent into exile and on the other side of him is an army poised to you know slaughter him And now all of a sudden a stranger comes and starts fighting with him. Like, where did this, out of nowhere, this stranger come and is wrestling all night with him? Like, what is going on, right? So, so we find out later that this, that this man was actually an angel. And it wasn't just an angel. It was the ministering angel of his brother Esav, who's coming to kill him, seemingly. And not just any ministering angel, but Rashi tells us that it's the Yetzirah itself. And that's who Yaakov is wrestling with during the night. And Yaakov defeats it. Amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And the angel renames Yaakov Israel. And now based on that, and now you can see just, again, the clarity of it, just the simplicity and the beauty of it. Rob Firmer says, so you know what the name Israel means? You know what? All of us who are have this name, Israel, you know what it means? It means the people who struggles with the Yetzirah and wins. That's our name. The people who wrestle with a negative inclination and are victorious. What an, what an amazing name. That is, that is the name of our people. What an amazing, amazing, amazing name. The ones who wrestle with negativity, with the Sahara. And conquer it. And you know, with that in mind, there's a way. The Zohar learns one of the ways of understanding the Torah is that it's a timeline, right? Starting at the beginning of creation and going all the way through to the end of days. So 
using that as a guide, I just want to sort of like uh, apply the teaching we just learned to that. Because isn't it interesting that the very last word of the Torah is the name Israel. It's the word Israel. And it seems to me that that would very much correlate with with the completion of this world, with the perfection of this world. Because what did we just learn the name of Israel is? The nation that wrestles against the Yetzirah and conquers it. In other words, that's the culmination of the entire Torah itself. That's the perfection of the world, the end of all evil. So, you know, it says, your name is your mission. And if you want sort of like a mystical, spiritual insight into your soul, and, you know, perhaps what your job is in this world, or perhaps what your strength is, or perhaps what it is that you have to fix, I mean, all different ways of examining what your Hebrew name is. And by the way, if any of you don't have a Hebrew name, I, I definitely recommend that you get one. And you can get one anytime during your life. And, um, you know, if you're in Los Angeles, come to the Happy Minion and we'll, we'll make it official. You'll come up to the Torah and we'll, we'll give you a Hebrew name. Um, so, so, or you can pick one out that you like, you know, you put some care into it. It's a, it's a very, very special thing to do. And, but, but a person's name contains kind of like their spiritual mission in this world. So with that in mind, with that in mind, very interesting that Yaakov has this name Yaakov, and then it becomes Yisrael. But, but, but he seems to have both of these names, you know? So, so, by the way, this is one of the reasons why um, uh, if someone, God forbid, becomes, you know, very, very ill, they add on another name. And, and one of the levels of understanding why, why this is done is because perhaps they've completed the mission of their first name. But if we add on another name, then they have more to do. Do you understand? So it's kind of like a, a blessing that you should have more work to do, which means you have to live longer in, to, in order to do more. So, so with that as an introduction, I was sort of looking at these two names, and, and I haven't found this teaching among, among the rabbis yet, but believe me, believe me, I can't be the first one to have figured this out. Believe me. But, but I haven't seen it written down yet. So anyway... So I took the name Israel, and I took the name Yaakov, and I subtracted them in Gematria. Okay? So Israel is 541, and Yaakov is 182, and that gives you 359. So I thought to myself, maybe that'll give a, uh, a hint to what job Yaakov had left to do in this world. Right? So what was the difference? What more did, would, did Yaakov have to do in this world? So you're not going to believe it. You know what 359 is? It's the Gematria Mashiach Im HaKolech. The Gematria of Mashiach is 358. The difference between them is 359. And, and uh, 
there's a special form of gematria. It's called ima kolel, where you add one and it, it's the same. It's we've discussed it before. There's a whole philosophy behind it. It's very deep, but but basically it's the same gematria. So with that in mind, we have an additional appreciation. The idea that Israel, Yisrael, is the last word in the Torah which correlates with the fixing of the entire world, which is Mashiach. An amazing thing. An amazing thing. So, so, you know, Holy Brother Doug reminded me of a beautiful teaching. There's an awesome Sefer that you still have time to get and you can learn. It's called The Soul of Hanukkah. It's a collection of teachings from Rabbi Shlomo Karlovach and Hanukkah put together by Rabbi Shlomo Katz, uh, The Soul of Hanukkah. And so one of the great teachings in the, in the book, and I'll just leave you with this, is that, um, you know, the Hanukkah lights are holy and... Part of the holiness of it is that, you know, we, we, we lit the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. And, you know, in on Hanukkah, really, your, your home turns into the holy temple. And you turn into the high priest, right? And, the, and it says the highest, most beautiful way to light, at least uh, according to the Ashkenazi tradition, is that everyone should have their own menorah and everyone should increase an extra light every single night of Hanukkah, Right? So that means that man and woman alike, not only is your home the holy temple, but you're the Kain Gadol. Amazing. Amazing. And that's called the ultimate beautification, right? So all of us are the Kain Gadol. All of our homes are the Beis HaMikdash. And the light of Hanukkah is shining. So it's, it's super holy, you know? And it's fixing the eyes. It's fixing how we look at the world, that we have to see God's goodness. We have to be on the same team as our wives, as our husbands, as our children, as our friends, right? We have to be on the same team to look at the world in a good, with a good eye, not to look at the world superficially like spies, right? right? Remember, it's a criminal offense to be superficial in this day and age, right? To see through to the essence. Okay, so because the lights are so holy, we have a special halacha, special law, which is that... Um, you're not allowed to use the lights for anything. By the way, that's why we light that extra candle, the shamash, right? To light the other candles with. Because that doesn't have the same status as the other candles. So if we are getting any light, we, we, we can say it's from the, the light from the shamash. But anyway, the, 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 the principal idea is that the lights themselves are holy and that we can't use it for mundane thing. Like if we wanted to just kind of, you know, write an email. We don't really want to use the, the light of the, of the menorah in order to do that. That would cons- be considered a misuse of it. So, so, so where does this go back to? So Chava, Eve in the Garden of Eden, she's, she's looking at the Eitzadas. She's looking at that fruit. And it looks good for her Right to make use of. Right, she likes it. She wants it. And what about just admiring its beauty? Right. So Rip Shlomo says, you know, so many times we we look at the world, we look at each other, and we just want to know what can I get from you. 
what can I use you for? Right? How can you help me accomplish whatever it is I need? But the Hanukkah menorah is fixing the eyes that we're just seeing the holiness and the beauty. And if we can just look at each other and look at the things of the world and appreciate the beauty of them, instead of looking at them and wondering, how can I use that to make my life better? But just to look at it and to love it and to just just see God's beauty in it, then that itself is perhaps maybe the ultimate fixing of the eyes. You know, I once heard um, Rabbi Shimon Green say something so beautiful. He said, you know, we walk down paths, you know, and sometimes they're little wildflowers by the side of the road. And as we walk down the road, we admire the beauty of the flowers. But what if we just see the world from the point of view of the flowers by the side of the road? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And just a different perspective, just a different way of looking at things. And and, uh, that's really what it means to look at the world with Hanukkah eyes, with Shabbos eyes, with the eyes from the inside of the heart, which sees the goodness, the goodness of God in all things. Okay. Have a great Hanukkah. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast, where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions I'd love to hear him.